Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on this weekend edition, 101.3 KPCG and online at kpcg.fm. Coming up on today's program, some uh, headlines to look at that'll be quite interesting. Also, uh, the world we live in today is very stressful, high-paced, fast-paced, and there's lots of problems with anxiety and stress out there. You yourself may have uh, experienced that from time to time. We've got some uh, really good information about how to manage that stress in the best possible way. We'll take a look at that and more coming up on this weekend edition of Trumpet Radio Live. This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG. And we're online too, kpcg.fm and at thetrumpet.com. And if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at kpcgfm. Any emails you'd like to send along, send those to comments at kpcg.fm. I'm Dwight Falk and Grant Turgeon here today. And uh, you know, we're sliding into the weekend the best, the best uh, slide of the week, right down, right into that weekend. <laughs> I'm pretty excited about it. It's amazing how the week goes by so quickly, but it also feels like three weeks are usually packed into one. Like the way that you feel physically or mentally at the end of the week. Yeah, when things get routine, uh, time just flies by. It's amazing how quickly things go. I'm, I'm getting to that point where, you know, somebody will talk about a news story or an event from a few years ago. And they'll say, you know, that happened in 2014, and and then that, you know, you realize that was four years ago already. Like it, it seems like I'm lost somewhere in the 2000s. <laughs> and based upon my uh, age, I'm not getting out of the 2000s. <laughs> so uh, you, the decades and the years start to slip by pretty quickly. And uh, it's amazing how long, it seems like you know growing up and going through like high school and graduating like that takes forever to do. And then once that's that sort of thing starts happening, and you get out of that, then everything just seems to accelerate. Yeah, that seems to be the the difference I've noticed too. Because when you're in school and you're going up grade by grade, it just seems to take forever. And that's not even to say that school is just unbearable in any way. It's just sometimes you have a lot more uh, work, a lot more things to do in the evenings after your day is done because of all the homework. So it almost seems like the days slow down in that case. Yeah, and there's a lot of changes in life at those yeah. stages. And then as you get older, the changes are not quite as dramatic. Uh, the uh, Super Bowl's coming up this weekend. You may have heard about that. <laughs> they took a poll, and if you can believe the numbers, which it's always hard to believe, but they say 16% of NFL fans say they're not going to watch it for various reasons. So these are people that actually like football and like the NFL, and they say they're not going to watch it. That's their, their claim anyway. Seton Hall took a survey of 706 Americans across the country, and from January 29th through the 31st, the first question asked people how closely they follow the NFL. Of those who said they follow it very closely, a group uh, the survey identifies as NFL fans, 16% of those said they're not watching this year. The poll has a 3.8% margin of error. And uh, Rick Gentile, director of Seton Hall Sports Poll, calls 16% a significant number that should be a concern to the league, the broadcasters, and especially the advertisers. So it'll be interesting to see what the final numbers are uh, 
you know, how many people watch the game. Obviously, a lot of people will because it's a huge event. Even if you don't like football, the commercials and all that, the pageantry, Justin Timberlake. <laughs> There's a lot to draw you in there. But uh, it will be interesting to see how many people watch this year compared to years in the past. So there are fans uh, who won't watch, but then there's also a lot of people who never watch any sports, but they somehow tune into the Super Bowl. So I guess probably that does more than offset. But to be a fan of a sport and not watch the biggest game of the year is quite an achievement. I mean, you know, there's been a lot of controversy this year with the NFL where guys are kneeling during the anthem and all that. And that's basically a slap in the face to most patriotic Americans. But even if they went so far as to say, we do not care if patriotic Americans watch, I'd probably still watch it. Like I, I do enjoy it. And so I can usually ignore what they're saying or what they're doing and, and enjoy the game anyway. Yeah. So they don't know, they didn't get down to the nitty gritty of exactly why people wouldn't watch it, but uh, the 16% said they won't, they should do a survey at how many people are near the TV when it's on, but they're not paying attention to it. That's most Super Bowl get-togethers. Yeah. You get there's like three or four that are really into it, and everyone else kind of floating around and <laughs> right. talking about unrelated things. And anytime you get the chance to control the remote, you just want to turn the volume up a little more because everyone just talks right over it, and you don't get to hear any of the analysis. Or everybody's favorite, uh, the person that keeps asking about the rules. Oh yeah, now why did why would they do that? <laughs> I've always baffled. I mean, not that I'm an expert. I don't know every rule, but I've watched enough to have a pretty good idea of what's happening. And uh, sometimes people that have watched, I think they've watched it for a long time. I'm surprised by the lack of, yeah. like, well, how can you do that? Or why can you do that? I'm like, don't, but don't you watch this game? <laughs> this is common, you know. Like, don't make me explain this next year. If, you know, if you're, if you have the question this year, keep it in your mind so that we don't have to go through this every Super Bowl. Yeah. You'd have to have a, like a pre-game uh, lecture. <laughs> yeah. PowerPoint presentation to explain the, the basic rules and so forth. I wonder if some of these fans who aren't watching during the Super Bowl are just like some of those fans who strictly only watch their team's games. My dad's a lot like that, but he also, per, for pretty much all the major sports, will keep up with the playoffs pretty well, even if his team's not involved. But anytime during the regular season, he literally almost won't watch a single game that's not his own team playing yeah i thought about that too i think there are some people that are more like that but uh so we'll see what the final numbers are it's gonna be cold there of course they're playing indoors so it doesn't matter i wish they'd play outdoors that would yeah. make it fun but they say uh it's going to be supposedly seven degrees for a high and the low is gonna be five below so that's what's gonna be like up in uh the twin cities so it's gonna be cold yeah, hopefully people uh, are uh, careful with the the flu and all that. Like we mentioned the other day, there's this fear that um, it's going to be a petri dish for the flu. You know, you get pretty warm in those buildings just with the cheering and everything on all the people in there, and then you go out into this uh, freezing weather. You know, that's never great, and uh, particularly um, with the flu traveling around. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, there, you might have seen this video online. This is from the Miami Herald. This ER nurse has some horror stories to tell about the flu in her viral video. So this lady that had just worked a 12-hour shift in an ER came out and, and went on a rant, <laughs> which probably is not good for her career. But <laughs> some people have liked it, I guess. She's, she's from Florida. She's a Florida hospital nurse. She's just upset by what she's seeing in, in some of these hospitals. And she told one story where um, she said, if a team member of a softball team is sick or injured, you do not bring the entire softball team to check on them because guess what? You just got maybe 15 new vectors or carriers of the flu by them just walking in because I watched them all walk in last night 
and not one of them touched the hand sanitizer, not once. Because the flu is a cesspool of funky flu right now in the ER, she said, please don't bring your team in. Please don't bring your healthy children in, especially your newborn babies. And if you don't have what I call a true emergency, this would not be a time to come to the emergency room. So she went on a little rant there. (laughs) I think we all know people like that who, you know, they have no problem going right up next to someone who's deathly ill and, you know, just just checking on them, sitting right next to them for four or five hours straight. And I'm like, and I'm, I'm always wondering, like, how do you not worry about maybe catching this? Do you think you're invincible somehow? I, I admire it in a way because usually it seems like these, these people I'm thinking of just don't ever catch the illness either. <laughs> yeah, maybe they're immune to it. But So this nurse had a few other things too about basically you know the people that are coming there. And it's interesting how she does say, like, if you, if you don't have this big emergency, don't come here. And, but then I watched the news last night, and they were talking about the flu epidemic. And the first thing they say is, oh, if you, if you think you might have the flu, immediately get to the you know emergency room of the hospital. Why? Yeah, I don't know. I don't understand that. I know some people have died, you know, and it's kind of caught them off guard. So I, I suppose they have to be careful in what they say. But, um, yeah, there's – well, like this nurse said, she's like, you know, people are waiting for hours in the emergency rooms, and they're getting upset. She's like, but if somebody's bleeding everywhere – we're going to take them in. We can look at you and say, you know what, you'll probably be okay. <laughs> and for the most part, they're probably right on that. Exactly. Yeah, I think probably society has just been conditioned to depend too much on doctors because, like we were saying, probably I think it was yesterday, you know, it's just a flu that, that comes around. Even when it's a really bad version, what are the doctors going to do about that besides giving you some kind of a drug? If we If we have total faith in a drug, then I guess we might go but otherwise usually you just want to get rest you want to quarantine yourself maybe have some soup you know drink a lot of water and then you'll get over it yeah i think all they do is well they probably check you out and then tell you you have the flu and then write a prescription for something you know and uh send you home so uh, anyway it's kind of interesting and uh, i imagine it is a lot of high stress right now in those emergency rooms always it's always a high stress area but especially now because it's so full and it's overcrowded. And like she says, you know, there, there are people that come in and they start cursing. They're just upset and they want to get in there. And, and uh, you know, they're not getting in as quickly as they want. So person works a 12-hour shift. I, I do think a word of caution and wisdom would be just in general, if you've just worked a 12-hour shift and you're upset, probably stay off of uh, <laughs> posting videos online about your experience. Lock the phone away. Do not even give yourself a chance to get anywhere near it. I wonder if maybe uh, situations like that have anything to do with the opioid crisis because it's just a flu. But if you're writing out prescriptions, I don't know how strong the pills might be, but a lot of the time these prescriptions are for like a full container of these pills, which are obviously going to last longer than the time that most people are sick. Um, So if people are just going in to get a prescription that's supposedly going to heal them, well, what are they going to do with those leftover pills? Yeah, I've been, thankfully I haven't had to go to a hospital very often, a couple of times for uh, injured uh, injury, uh, like a, from playing a sport or something. And uh, in every case, they've always given me pain stuff, and I don't I don't think I've ever taken it. Um, didn't need it. Uh, and, you know, things would hurt a little bit, but it wasn't that bad. I don't even remember what they gave me, but I didn't take it. I, I know some cases uh, where, you know, people did need to take it because the pain was pretty intense for certain things, but the, the danger is getting addicted. And that's one of the problems with the NFL. They talk about how they just hand out the different shots and the different pain medications. 
and they need it because they can't play unless they have it. And uh, then they get addicted to it, and they give give it to them like candy, as it were. And uh, so then they've got those addictions as well. Yeah, and it seems like when these prescriptions are doled out, you just basically approve the prescription. The people can go go buy it or whatever they have to do, and then they have it. They are free to administer it to themselves without any sort of supervision. And even sometimes if it's left up in a cabinet, uh, their kids get to it as well, which is another danger from that. Yep. So you have to be careful with those things. Here's uh, an interesting uh, story. This uh, will be something to think about. This is from Similar Web. They take a look at the uh, top branded uh, keywords for the last uh, three months. What have people been looking for on the Internet? Maybe th- maybe this will relate to you. Maybe you've looked <laughs> for these things. The 10th most searched uh, word or phrase or name on the Internet is Kevin Spacey. Number nine is Harvey Weinstein. Wow. Number eight, Las Vegas. Number seven, Roy Moore. Number six, Tom Petty. Number five, Las Vegas shooting. Number four, North Korea. Number three, Bitcoin. Number two, net neutrality. Number one, Trump. Wow. So those are all like extremely relevant, up-to-date issues. A lot of them are very controversial. Um, probably a lot of those events or people have stirred some kind of uh, fear or a lot of questions that people are asking now because of what has taken place recently. Uh, it's it's amazing how we that's how we respond a lot of the time. It, when something happens, we kind of just want to go look it up and and see if we can read a little bit more. Yeah. So, and of course, uh, Tom Petty, he died. And so I think that's why people were looking him up. He mm-hmm. died in the last three months. And Roy Moore, obviously, we remember him from the news and the Vegas shooting. So, uh, yeah, pretty interesting. And the Hollywood scandals. So yeah. it's funny. Why would somebody Google Trump? You know, like, I suppose just to find the latest news on him or something mm-hmm. like that. But a lot of times you think of Googling something because you have a, a question or you don't know something about it. But he's in the news so much. It's <laughs> kind of funny. But I. You know, I guess uh, I guess uh, that's good news for him, like in the sense that you want to be on the radar and he's obviously on the radar. Well, well, yeah, it's it's pretty much if you go to any news website now, uh, an item about him is probably at the top anyway, regardless of if you Google search it or not. Um, And probably to someone like him, uh, the old mantra, any publicity is good publicity applies uh, he is almost immune to any kind of criticism that's thrown his way because so much of that criticism has been undermined and disproven, and he knows it. And so he just basically flaunts his inv- invincibility to all these media attacks. Yeah, he's been he's been able to rebuff it all so far. Uh, the top-ranked media publications, this is where people have been going. Number 10, finance.yahoo.com. Number 9 is sports.yahoo.com. <laughs> Number 8, the Washington Post. Number seven, Drudge Report. Six, Fox News. Five, New York Times. Four, News.Google. Three is CNN. Two, MSN. And number one, ESPN. That's where people are going on the internet in terms of uh, media publications. Um, I don't know. I guess doesn't surprise me totally, but in some ways it does. Um, you know, I, I have to admit, I do occasionally go to CNN, even though I don't trust anything they say. But for yeah. some reason, I still go there. Well, there's something about reading things we disagree with. It's kind of exciting sometimes uh, to to read a news story that you know for a fact has no facts and to be able to point that out. And it kind of gets your your temperature rising a little bit. I mean, ESPN even does that. They always have some sort of a political story or two on the very 
top headlines section. That's not really related to sports that much, but people, I guess they know that people are going to be clicking on it a lot. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I, us- I guess if there's a story that's kind of a big deal, I usually go to three or four sites to see the different angles on it because I know they're going to have a different take on it. So I kind of, I, mean, I am kind of interested to see like the different ways they look at things. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's interesting. I saw something yesterday about just the growth of the internet and I, I didn't write it all down, but it's, I thought they said that every day there's 65 years worth of information put up on the internet. Does that sound right? Right. Because even just with YouTube, they put like, you know, like a million or a billion hours up on yeah. up on there like every day pretty much just because there's so many people uploading at the same time. Same thing with the internet in general, obviously. It's just you can't you can't get anywhere close to getting a synopsis of what the internet has on it because uh, so much content is always there. Even if you just looked at it 24-7, you'd have no chance. It's amazing how quickly it's changed. It wasn't too much longer ago that it was difficult to get, say, video up on the internet. And now, you know, you, your your two-year-old could probably figure out how to put video on the internet, sadly. <laughs> you just wonder where it's going. You know, where is it, where is it going to expand to next? And it's so easy uh, now to stream it live, which has been a more recent development. It's it was It's been common for a while to upload something that you already recorded in the past, but now anyone can, can live stream whatever it is. And we've seen examples of just how terrible some of those those live streams can be. That's just inevitably what happens. Anytime there's a new technology, uh, people find a way to, to abuse that as well. Yeah. One technology that people have used over the years is probably eBay. You ever bought anything off of eBay? Uh, just off of like the, the face value part where you don't have to bid. Oh, um, yeah. If I had a little <laughs> extra money, I might try bidding once in a while, but I never seem to have enough for what I really want. Yeah eBay's popular, obviously, as a place to buy and sell. And it says eBay will soon replace PayPal as its main payment option. So if you've used eBay a fair bit, you probably use PayPal. A lot of people use PayPal. eBay and PayPal, it says, uh, have remained tight over the years, but that's bound to change in the near future now that the auction site has decided to offer an integrated payment system built by Amsterdam-based company Adyen. Uh, the move will give way to a more seamless payment experience so you don't have to log into another website to pay. Since uh, Aiden's uh, product, already used by Netflix and Uber, is purely a back-end payment service, you might encounter the new payment system as soon as the second half of 2018. So if you use eBay a lot, you might have a new uh, experience there as far as not having to use PayPal anymore. And that's, uh, that's become a very common term, you know. PayPal it to me. Right. <laughs> Google it. PayPal me. <laughs> so uh, anyway, no matter what the company is out there, there's always somebody coming along that wants to knock them off the top. So maybe this will be the new payment way. I feel like I'm years behind on a lot of these different types of payments. There's always these new commercials about how you can like scan your phone over, over like I don't know some sort of check-in register at a, at a store, and it's just it's so confusing to me how these things are possible. Um, but yeah, even even PayPal people have told me before you could just PayPal it to me. I'm like, I don't I don't even know what that means. I'm I'm really out of the loop here. <laughs> you might give them cash. Oh, that'll stun people. <laughs> what is this? What, what is you, this paper? What stuff is this then? paper stuff you're doing? Um, well, one of the most searched terms, as we mentioned there over the past three months, was Las Vegas or Las Vegas shooting because of the Las Vegas massacre. 
And this is kind of interesting. It's from Inside Edition. Las Vegas massacres forgotten victims, the horrific injuries, and how they're moving forward. Anytime there's a mass shooting like this, uh, of course, there's a lot of people that die. But then there are people that don't die, but they've been shot and injured, and they, that's the rest of their lives. The story moves out of the top headlines, but these people keep having to live with it. Rachel Shepard's scar runs from her chest to below her waist, it says. When I see it, it's just a constant reminder. She says she's 27 years old. She's nearly one of, or she's one of nearly 500 people recovering after she was shot in last October's Las Vegas massacre that left 58 concert goers dead. So 58 killed, but 500 were shot, and they're dealing with the aftermath of that. That's something that's often overlooked in a lot of these different scenarios. Uh, we, we know the death count, and we hear the number of injured, but we often overlook that part because there's never a follow-up story about how they're trying to deal with it. I, I always appreciate when they do come back to it and just show what it's like. Obviously the dead are dead and they'll have another chance, but those who are injured, what are they trying to do in daily life? Are they getting any sort of a payout? Uh, are they still able to work or go to school? Do they have any sort of mental problems now because of the trauma that they experience? It, it's always, it's always nice to try to figure out what happens to these people and not just forget about them. Yeah, because they're, they're living with this daily. Uh, this lady, Natalie Grummet, uh, was shot in the face. He felt her jaw explode. Wow. you imagine that? Oh. I mean, you just you have, uh, can't even imagine it. Uh, Chelsea Romo was shot in the eye. She said, my vision was taken right away. Uh, she was in the front row at the Route 91 Harvest Festival outside of the Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino when the shooter began. shooting began. Um and uh, this other fellow says, uh, my girlfriend said, duck. At this point, I was uh, holding my face. And she's, and then he said, oh, look at your face. You know, and she couldn't see because she had been shot in the eye. So just the horrible situations there. Uh, she was completely blind at first, but surgeons were able to save one of her eyes by removing pieces of shrapnel. And they had a picture of her. And, I mean, you know, she you can tell she was a, a nice-looking young lady, but now she's got this deformed part of her eye on the one side so that's just going to be a hindrance for the rest of her life so there's a lot of people like this uh 500 that have various injuries that they're going to carry for the rest of their lives in some cases and those two examples there normally when you think of people getting shot anywhere in the head area you think they're going to die but that's probably the most damaging spot to get hit if you don't die because you know it obviously your physical appearance but then blindness a lot of your senses are around your head area and those can get damaged for life uh just a terrible situation for anyone to have to deal with um just you know what if they had ducked a second sooner you know <laughs> yeah. what if what if any circumstance was slightly different to where they were in a different part of the crowd and didn't get hit at all i mean so much of that is almost just left up to chance yeah it really is um, you were wondering about the money situation well attorney james france represents more than 100 victims that are now suing Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino, claiming the hotel didn't do enough to stop the gunman. That's kind of tough, you know. I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. I guess you know, if if I was injured or if somebody I knew was injured, you would want some sort of compensation. But who do you go to to get it, right? And is it there? Is it the hotel's fault? I don't, I don't know. Uh, but it's an interesting question. You know, it's a situation where a person did damage, and that person's dead, and they don't have anything to give you. I don't think. So who do you go to to? get something get help yeah and when we're trying to blame a hotel for something like that we have to ask which hotel would have actually stopped that from happening because 
hotels don't have security checkpoints. If you do something as simple as putting up a do not disturb sign outside your door, no one's going to come in to, to clean up your room. So you could be in there for weeks at a time and no one would know what's going on in there. That's how every hotel operates. It's not just Mandalay Bay's fault that this happened. Uh, the blame really should be going toward the psychopath who did that. Yeah, and he had some money from what I remember. But yeah, he I don't, did. I don't know. I mean, that wouldn't go very far if they were trying to split it up. I don't even know if they could do that. But, yeah, terrible situation. And you're right. I mean, we like the freedoms that we have in hotels. I wouldn't want somebody coming in and, like, checking on me and all everything. No. But it's the same with, like, airports. You know, we all want to be safe, but it is a pain to go through all the security. You know, we, we always think back to before that and how you could just get on the planes pretty easily and now it's tougher. So that's that's just another uh, result of the terrorism. Now all the, the security and all the questions about how do you, where does the line between freedom and security, where is that line? And the fear and paranoia rises and people start demanding uh, huge fundamental changes to different parts of society. If we had checkpoints everywhere, we would take probably three times longer every day to get different places. Um, A lot of that just has to come down to God's protection because otherwise, how do you stop every single person who has any sort of violent thought in his mind? You can't because you you don't have to use a gun. You could use as, as little as like a fork if you wanted to. I mean, there's so many different things that you could use to damage another person if you wanted to. But you can't ban all these different items. You can't ban a car. If someone decides to drive up on the side of the road and start hitting people on the sidewalk, we've seen that many times, you can't stop it. It's in the minds of these people, uh, probably a lot of them uh, demonically influ- influenced or possessed. It's it's not something that we can uh, just stop with more security regulations. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, they, the more that they're having security regulations put in place, it hasn't. We haven't seen things slow down, really. Um, I suppose the counter side or the other side to that would be, well, how much worse would it have been, you know, without? And it's hard to say without more regulations. But so anyway, uh, people there from that Las Vegas massacre are still uh, dealing with some of those injuries, and some of them are going to be lifetime injuries. But it's amazing how quickly things just come and go out of the news, and you just kind of move on. But it, they can't move on from it. Yeah. Uh, make sure you stop and check out thetrumpet.com today. The top story is Vatican betrays China's Catholics. I didn't know there were any Catholics in China. I yeah. guess there are. <laughs> That's an interesting concept. <laughs> From Andrew Miller. It's not, it can't be that popular. <laughs> Vatican City is much more than the headquarters of a religion, so make sure you stop and check that out. Also, the uh, Trumpet Daily today with your host, Stephen Fleury, uh, talked about, continue to, continues to talk about this divided America. And also highlights how the EU and the Democrats are fighting against the U.S. leading the Middle East peace negotiations. So the EU is saying, hey, we want in on this. And the Democrats are fighting against President Trump as well. And if you know much about Bible prophecy, you know when Europe starts to get involved in the Middle East, there is a reason to uh, be concerned, but also there's some excitement there. Yeah, you would expect that from the EU. They're not part of america in any way they've never been truly america's friend but for our own politicians on the left to be trying to undermine the president is just truly disgraceful and we've talked about that quite a few times this week and last week especially uh who do they think they are when obviously they're not the party in power because the people didn't want them in power right now they didn't win any branches of government in the last elections that were held and yet they're they're actively trying to hurt this president 
even if it means dropping us down many ranks on the world stage in terms of our our power status they don't care they just want to destroy the republicans it's it's a war for them but they're only focused internally with that war they don't care so much about foreign powers yeah i think their mistake is i don't know what all the thinking is there but the, i think the mistake is that they feel like if they can tear down the u.s and get themselves back in power then they can rule over what's left well what's going to be left <laughs> do you want the ruin under your hand <laughs> as uh, the bible talks about where you're going to have a point where leaders don't want to lead anymore because of the destruction and the problems so i think maybe that's what they're thinking that we'll just tear the whole thing down we'll get in power and then we'll rule over some sort of uh, whatever's left i guess well, that has to be what they're going for and um a, a kind of a common viewpoint that a lot of them hold is that america is actually one of the biggest sources for evil in the world, not for good, which people on the right would agree that it's more of a source for good for the world. But if if you're a leftist and you believe that America is hurting other nations by meddling over in the Middle East, for example, or by having any sort of say in the way that Europe united after World War II, if, if you think all the things that America does on the, na on the international stage are bad, well they would be then be trying to undermine those things. Yeah, and they, and they definitely are. Related to this, there's a, this is from Axios. It says, Scoop, Trump may present peace plan even if Palestinians won't negotiate. It says the White House is considering presenting President Trump's Middle East peace plan even if the crisis with the Palestinian Authority continues and Palestinian President uh, Abbas refuses to come to the negotiating table, according to U.S. Uh, senior officials. They say the bottom line is that the U.S. officials say the administration won't impose on the Israelis or Palestinians to accept the plan, but may release it so the parties and international community can judge it at face value. So that's what they think might happen. I'm interested to hear what the plan is. I don't have any big hope for it, of course, because you just, knowing what the Bible says about it, we're not going to see peace there that way. But, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, what type of plan's thrown out. Yeah, and it's just confounding that we keep seeing efforts at peace it doesn't matter what american administration is in place we keep blindly searching for peace over there uh in ways that it can, we can never have peace by having a two-state solution by dividing jerusalem somehow uh, those things are impossible because the jews will not even survive as a people if we enact these different types of ideas uh, but we keep on pushing forward <clears throat> isn't it both Hamas and Fatah that are designated as terrorist entities by, by the U.S. government. And the fact that they're so closely tied with the PLO, why are we trying to negotiate with terrorists? Why are we, why are we trying to expect peace from people whose entire lives revolve around making war? It's interesting, too. It says, as I just read here, that uh, if the crisis with the Palestinian Authority continues, there's been a crisis with them ever since they've existed. Mm -hmm. The crisis. It's their whole point of existing. It's to cause a crisis, right? right. <laughs> yeah, you remember that time when we really got along with the Palestinians? <laughs> uh, there's never been, That time's never happened, but of course, when you've got John Kerry running around undermining the U.S., that doesn't help anything either. So, we're, we're, And there's a write-up about that on the trumpet from uh, yesterday that you can check out. Well, just just think about all the different Arab leaders that we've glorified over the years, like Yasser Arafat. We act like we acted like he was 
some great beacon of hope for the peace process, and yet he openly talked about his hate for, hatred for the Jews as well. Uh, if you hate someone, you're not going to have peace with that person unless it is absolutely imposed on you. Same with Iran when we said that they had moderate leaders in place somehow and we were going to try to work with them. They, they've also openly said exactly what they want to do and we don't we don't really pay any mind to that apparently yeah they're not good at hiding their motives <laughs> they don't care to <laughs> uh make sure you also listen for the key of david program this weekend it's a new one it's here on kpcg it's on television and you can find it at the trumpet.com jerusalem archaeology prophesies it's a tongue twister for me for some reason <laughs> No City on Earth brings history and prophecy to life like Jerusalem and recent archaeological discoveries in the Holy City dramatically prove the Bible true. So this is a really exciting program. Uh, a lot of people have been calling in and getting the literature offered on these different programs. Make sure you, you're one of them and uh, watch this program, Jerusalem Archaeology Prophesies. A lot happening over there in the Middle East and uh, the uh, Philadelphia Church of God, which sponsors this radio station, and uh, Herbert W. Armstrong College students are right in the thick of it over there. Yeah, it's really an exciting uh, phase of discovery over there. Just a three-month dig right now and uh, looking around at uh, some really important areas where it seems like most of ancient Judah's kings ruled from. So to get to a place like that is actually quite exciting for those students. Yeah, awesome opportunity, and uh, it proves the Bible true, which is amazing. So make sure you look for this Key of David program. Uh, also, uh, to finish up today, I want to talk about uh, an interesting topic that I think a lot of people can relate to, and that is that of anxiety and stress. It's a major issue for people. You ever you ever feel a little anxious? Well, <laughs> it's funny because you were joking about the only thing to stress about is stress itself. That's what you were saying beforehand. And that's usually any time that stress comes up for me, that's, that's all it is. And it could, Because when I sit down to think about it, I realize that there's really nothing to be so concerned about. It's never... It's never as big of an issue as I think it is, uh, but sometimes we just build these huge obstacles just in our own minds. Yeah, it. it um, a lot of times I think it, it, people start feeling stressed about feeling stressed. Right. And and it's easy to do. And I was thinking about it because of this write-up. It it's maybe seems a little unrelated, but it's related. From the Telegraph, it says, uh, anxious people are more likely to be bitten by dogs, the study suggests. <laughs> maybe you've heard this over the years, but uh, they've done a study on it. They say if uh, you're anxious and nervous and you're more likely to have a dog bite you, they say if you have an unflappable self-confidence swagger, that might be the best way to avoid a nasty nip. They did a whole a whole thing on this. And so dogs can sense when you're anxious and nervous. It makes them <laughs> anxious and nervous. And there's a good chance that you might be bitten. So mm-hmm. have you heard that over the years? Yeah, a lot of people say you can sense uh, or they, that the dogs or any kind of animal can sense your fear. So that that kind of fits right in with that. If an animal feels like it's in the dominant position, it doesn't have any sort of manners or decorum. It's going to exploit that whenever it gets a chance. Actually, the only time I've ever been bit by a dog was in the middle of a snowball fight, and I was chasing down the, the dog's owner to hit him with a snowball, and the dog bit me right in the thigh. Really? So I might have been like a little bit too aggressive at that time. I didn't know the dog was going to get involved or else I probably would have been terrified. Yeah. <laughs> well, they say that dogs will uh, give you uh, cues. Uh, examples of this include tucking their tail between their back legs, arching their body, looking away from you, lip licking, and growling. Oof. So if you see any of those things, they say give it some space. 
Uh, so you have to be careful with that. But but uh, it, it is interesting just that they uh, they do sense anxiousness and and uh, it's it's a big problem in the U.S. Um, just having anxiety and stress and fear about it could be anything. Approximately 30% of the adult population in North America have anxiety and wellness issues, or they call it anxiety disorder. Only one-third will receive treatment. I don't know exactly what the treatment involves, but and of those, only 10% will receive proper treatment. <laughs> I'm not sure what that involves either. Uh, those who experience anxiety have a very uh, high propensity for drug abuse and addiction. Uh, they want to escape it. They want to calm down. And sometimes going to drugs and alcohol is a way that they do that, and then they become addicted to it. But what's interesting about that is if people have anxiety and then they smoke marijuana, then the anxiety gets worse in a lot of cases. Right. It's almost like a vicious cycle when you're anxious, so you get away from it for a short time by getting high on marijuana, but then when you don't have that high anymore, you actually get more anxious from it and feel like you need to smoke it again. And so it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And it is a question why we have to go to such extremes. I mean, even, even just talking about alcohol, it only takes like a drink or two to, to relax a little bit if, if that was what you were doing. And so why would, why would it have to get to the point where people turn to total alcoholism? Yeah, they become dependent on things like that. So we'll look at some statistics here about anxiety, and then we'll look at some ways to work on it. Uh, 65% of North Americans take prescription medications daily. 43% take mood-altering prescriptions regularly. Can you believe that? Four out of ten people that you might come across are on mood-altering prescriptions. Yeah, apparently there was this uh, doctor who came on a podcast and was talking about how you can actually offset a lot of the anxiety problems that people turn to prescriptions for by getting exercise and i heard this guy he was he was calling into some liberal talk show and he was like can you believe that woman would say that you should get off the prescriptions and actually go exercise i'm like well that makes perfect sense i mean there are plenty of studies that show it actually does uh, unleash the proper types of hormones or the, the proper types of chemicals from your body when you exercise. You feel good from it. Instead of letting it all get pent up and then relying on a pill to take it away, why not just exercise? Why not turn to natural solutions instead of altering our minds with drugs? Because nobody gets paid. <laughs> I just couldn't believe this guy was so outraged at such a common sense solution. Yeah, it's amazing. There were over 3.3 billion prescriptions filled in America in 2002, 12 times the U.S. population. 12 prescriptions for every man, woman, and child in the U.S. that year. So people aren't just having one prescription. Usually there's multiples. And then, of course, there are people that don't have any. So you have to figure some people have a lot more. Uh, Paxil and Zoloft, two of the more popular anti-anxiety medications, rank 7th and 8th in the top 10 prescribed medications in the U.S., these two medications totaled about $5 billion in sales in 2002. Uh, recreational drugs are also used to cope with anxiety. 42% of young adults in America regularly use recreational drugs. Recreational. <laughs> alcohol is commonly used to cope with anxiety. 72% of Canadians consume alcohol each year. 10% of Canadians admit they have an alcohol problem. <laughs> of course, and a lot of people don't admit it, so um, those numbers could be higher. Uh, quite a few uh, statistics there about America and Canada and uh, uh, just seeing um, how people are trying to deal in a lot of cases with anxiety in their lives. And like you said, there's better ways to deal with it, and yet um, 
people are looking for relief from uh, social anxiety and other issues like that. Well, just think about the sheer amount of time and money wasted by turning to the wrong types of solutions when we when we feel this way. I mean, if if people are recommending going to the doctor, a lot of doctor's visits, like we talked about earlier, they take hours. And I mean, if that's what we have to do every single time we start to feel a little bit unstable or any, any, any time we have any sort of symptom we want to deal with, what, what a waste of time that is. I've, I've been to the hospital like six or seven times in my whole life. And that includes like when I was born and when my baby was born. I mean, a lot of time was saved not going all the time when every little thing came up. And then people who go to extremes with drugs and alcohol obviously have to spend a lot of money to buy it. It costs a lot of money if you're on 12 prescriptions a person uh, to pay for all of those things. Uh, why why not just turn to some some better solutions, Some whether they be spiritual or even just in terms of, like I said, physical exercise or other alternatives. There are so many ways to just avoid wasting all of our resources just because of a feeling that we get sometimes. Yeah, it's, it's very expensive, and and it's interesting because uh, for the U.S. population, in most cases, uh, women are twice as likely to be afflicted uh, as compared to men in most of these, uh, whether it be generalized anxiety disorder, obsessive-compulsive disorder, panic disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, so on and so forth, social anxiety. They have all the different names. They break them down into different blocks, but uh, it's, it's, it's pretty uh, pretty uh, big problem. Here are some of the conditions that people may have experienced uh, if they have anxiety. Often feel out of control of their health and life, experience higher levels of overall stress, struggle with low self-esteem, feel nervous in many social situations. I'm trying to put you at ease. (laughs) Have difficulty managing pressure, have higher expectations of themselves and others. Uh, It goes on and on and on. Uh, So they're sick more often as, uh, as you were talking about just having to get into all the medical stuff. Uh, more likely to take medications, more likely to have other health problems. Overall, it's just a negative, negative cycle. And it can become just sort of in your mind, or it can be in the mind, and then all of a sudden it's in the body as well. Right. And a lot of those symptoms, we probably a lot of us have some familiarity with them, but there are ways to get those things under control without having to, to go to the pills. To p- the pills. I mean, uh, sometimes we are going to feel like there is a lot of pressure, but usually that period does die down. And if we could see to the end of it and realize, look, it's only a day or two where the workload has increased and I'll get through this. I don't have to go to any extremes here. If we just think about it rationally and slow down and realize that there aren't a lot of reasons to really panic. I mean, there are a couple reasons in life to really uh, be worried about something. And other than that, a lot of these things are just basically figments of our imagination. We take it way to an extreme. The list of what people might experience when they have anxiety, every human being experienced some of that oh, yeah. at some point. So, you know, it'd be it'd be easy to, you know, hear a list like that and think, oh, I think I've got that. Right. Yeah, well, everybody gets a little <laughs> bit of that. It's just some cases it gets more extreme. So we have this really great write-up. It's, very, it's just really uh, excellent. Managing your stress substance-free. Uh, don't stress. Be positive. It's on the PCOG.org website, and it's written by Eric Anderson and Brad McDonald. And we're going to go through some of the points that they give on how to cope with stress uh, in, a, in a good way and deal with it. Number one, it says learn to live with stress. There is a reality that we can't avoid all stress. We're all going to have a time in life where things aren't going exactly as we'd like. 
and we have to say, you know what, that's normal. That's okay, and and I can deal with this. That's that's part of learning to live with stress. There are a lot of different, uh, pretty interesting descriptions for uh, life, the life that we go through physically, and and just how it does have its bumps and its bruises sometimes, and there can be peaks and valleys. A lot of different analogies like that, but the gist of it is just that sometimes there are going to be some hard times. There are going to be some struggles we have to deal with, especially when we consider the spiritual element of that, that this, the entire purpose of this life is to develop godly character. Well, it's not going to be easy. We're not just going to wake up in a vacuum or in a bubble and then just have everything handed to us, have everything just perfectly set out to where we can coast through life. That's not reality whatsoever. Yeah, I've heard stories, uh, quite a few actually over the years, where somebody comes upon a pretty big situation. You know, it could be like a life-threatening situation. And I've heard that when people finally just accept it, things tend to go a little easier. Like, okay, this isn't ideal, but it is what it is sort of thing. And, of course, like you said, it, you know, if we understand God's plan, we know that that there's not a lot to worry about in terms of this life because uh, it life does end, but yet there's more beyond that. Uh, but it, it also talks here about just in, with this first point of learning to live with stress is just having a, a being as healthy as you can be, including eating the correct foods, cleanliness, personal hygiene, sunshine and fresh air. Got to go outside once in a while. Proper exercise, the right amount of sleep and rest, avoiding bodily injury, maintaining a tranquil mind and developing self-control. Doing those things really goes a long way in, in eliminating some of the some of the anxiety that can come upon us. Or it helps us to be able to adapt to it better and handle it better when it does come. Right. And we've, we've also even talked about quite a few studies on this show just about how um, screen time increases anxiety. There are certain activities in our lives that we definitely don't have to be engaged in as much. And if we just kind of cut out some distractions, uh, some, some time wasters, we'd feel a lot better because we wouldn't be procrastinating quite as much. We'd be getting down to the important priorities ahead of just, uh, you know, watching TV or whatever it might be. And when we're actually taking care of our responsibilities instead of running from them, a lot of that stress goes away. Also mentions meditation and prayer. Um, there's a big push right now for all sorts of ideas about that. You know, people want to get back to meditating or whatever they think they should be doing. And there is a, there is a way to meditate and there is a proper way to do it. They give a uh, Psalm uh, 63, five through six as an example, but, uh, praying to God, you know, one of the, the uh, symptoms of, uh, people that have this anxiety issue that becomes a big issue is that they feel at a distance from God and they question their faith and God's presence in their lives. A great way to relieve stress is to have a personal relationship with God. Yeah, there was an uh, NBA store commercial a couple of years ago, and all these NBA stars were kind of showing off these these goofy items that you could buy with their team logo on it. And one of the guys was sitting on a yoga mat, and he said, meditation is thinking about nothing. That's mm. what he said <laughs> meditation was. And that's very much not what it is. In fact, that's one of the last things you want to do is completely clear your mind. There is a a common conception that we should actually just always be trying to make our minds go blank. You don't want to do that. We want to make sure that our minds are actually filled with the right thoughts, which come from studying the Bible, from thinking on uh, the deeper things, thinking on our purpose, which is, like I said, revealed in the Bible. And, and when we are relying on God to influence the way we think, 
uh, meditation becomes a lot easier. Connecting with him through prayer becomes a lot easier. And those things just by nature eliminate a lot of stress. Yeah, David set a great example of that. He meditated often, especially when he was young and he was out there with uh, the sheep. But he always he talked about what he was meditating on, which was, you know, when I think of man and when I think of, you know, uh, the universe and I consider your, the hand, you know, the works of your hands. He didn't say, you know, when I just sat here and just thought about nothing. <laughs> I mean, he was thinking about very specific things. How many Psalms would there be if all the ones where he was thinking about deep things were just removed? Right. And it's like, <laughs> maybe there would just be a bunch of blank white space for all the different parts where he blanked out his mind. I mean, meditation is clearly very different from what most people think it is. Yeah, and he was clearly very alert because there were times when there would be a bear or something come up and try to attack uh, another animals and try to attack the sheep, and he was there to defend them. I mean, if you were just zoning out, staring at the wall, you probably wouldn't know. <laughs> be some trouble. <laughs> There'd be trouble for the sheep. So you gotta, you do have to pay attention. Uh, so that's a, a great way to deal with uh, anxiety. Just learning to live with it in a proper way. Uh, it says also be positive. Well, I should say in that last point as well, they do bring up just listening to uh, uh, positive and uplifting music. You know, sometimes maybe just stopping and reading a book or something to get your mind off of whatever the concern might be. But, but the music's a good point. I mean, if you're listening to high tension music, uh, and we've mentioned this before, but if you're driving on the road and you hear something blaring out of somebody's car, that's uh, a little bit on the raucous side. They're typically not that happy over there. <laughs> you kind of know that they're they're uh, they're having a bit of angst. Yeah, and we can apply that same principle to any of the entertainment that we consume. If if we're watching a lot of like, you know, really really sad romance movies or whatever it might be, or if all the things that we're watching are like high strung murder dramas or right. something like that, if all those things are just like dark and depressing and gloomy and that's what we're putting in our minds we can't expect to think any differently from those influences yeah sometimes too i mean if it's if it's good humor i think good humor is great you mm -hmm. know just laugh about it a little bit and, or something and it gets your mind off of it too so second point they bring out here about how to manage anxiety and stress is to be positive establishing a right mental outlook can prevent and even alleviate certain physical maladies caused or aggravated by stress or negative thinking you know, we've all heard of the uh, the hypochondriac. You know, they are always dying of something, you know, but they're actually probably okay. <laughs> but they're just really negative about it. Uh, learning to think properly is a key to mental and emotional stability. Uh, Paul mentioned that in the Philippians 4, 8, whatsoever things are true and good and so forth. Think on those things, you know. There are good things to set our minds on. Uh, and conversely, there are negative things to set our minds on. Really, it's up to us where we want to put our thinking. And it's amazing what a difference it can make if we just get up in the morning and determine to be positive about uh, what we're going to experience that day. I mean, we could have the exact same schedule as the day before, but if we approach it positively, we have all of a sudden a lot more energy to put into our activities. Uh, we're all of a sudden a lot more appreciative for the opportunities that we have, the responsibilities that we've been given. Uh, it does make just a gigantic difference if we prioritize that part of our lives where we absolutely have to have a positive mindset going into each day. If that's, if we care a lot about that and we make sure that we do that, uh, that just, that's going to change a whole lot. Yeah. And they bring up a great point here too, about just the fact that there's very few issues or stresses that are going to come up that no one else has ever experienced before. And it's nice to keep that in mind because it can feel that way sometimes. Like, no, we, no one's ever felt this way before. <laughs> 
that's typical of teenagers especially but <laughs> uh everybody has there's, there's nothing new that's happened uh, you know under the sun everybody's you know there's been thousands of years of human existence and uh people have had their their similarities and uh so sometimes you can even you know you have a friend or somebody that has a similar situation and you can talk it out so it's it's good to realize that as well that there's nothing that happens to anybody that's not common to pretty much most everybody else as well yeah it's like when you when you have a kid and people are always asking like well weren't you really really nervous during the whole childbirth process and it's like well no i mean that's that's how people appear on the planet that's how billions of us <laughs> exist you know that's that's not it's not like we're the only ones to go through whatever it might be and and sure maybe you stay up all night one night or two nights uh, because of that, but it's not it's not something to go into meltdown mode over. Yeah, and they also say that you know learning the basic skills of getting along with others also reduces stressful living. Learning to just be a friendly person and have pleasant exchanges with other people <laughs> that can get that can take care of a lot of uh, anxiety, especially when it, I guess if you break it down to the social anxiety, you know where some I mean some people really struggle in crowds or with other people, um, and uh, you know, you got really a choice. It's like, what are you going to do? Either going to live in a hole by yourself, <laughs> or you're going to try to get over it. And I know it's not easy, but but uh, learning to get out there and get along with people goes a long way. Yeah, those positive social interactions are really important because uh, you know it's hard to imagine walking through the office and then just saying, "Well, I hope I don't see this guy in the hallway or this guy or this guy because last time I saw him, I wasn't very nice or I, I said the wrong thing." If we're not if we're not necessarily treating other people the right way, uh, that can add to a lot of anxiety. It's almost like you just want to sprint to where you're going and avoid any sort of eye contact or any sort of comment or even just even just passing by people. You want to avoid that if you're not getting along with people the right way. Yeah, that's a good point. The final point they bring out in how to uh, overcome anxiety is to be realistic. Says we live in a negative, stress-filled world. We know uh, we will have disappointments in life from time to time. None of us can have smooth sailing a hundred percent of the time. But but this is a great point here. It says stressed people don't accept that simple fact. They tend to mentally magnify their problems out of proportion, making mountains out of molehills, as the saying goes. They become so wrapped up in their problems and difficulties, real or imagined, that they become almost immobilized. Don't dwell on past mistakes and failures. We all have regrets. Learn from them and move on. Don't wallow in self-pity, for if you do, you'll remain in a stressful situation. And and they point out, you know, some situations are beyond our control. You just have to accept it. Or I mean, you know, I think if if we all had a, you know, a nickel for every time we either hurt or said somebody say, suck it up, that's life, you know, we'd all be wealthy because that's a common thing that happens. I, I'm so stressed, I'm so, well, suck it up, it's life, you know. <laughs> and probably all of us have had moments where we thought we did something that was like totally irredeemable. Like we made the, we made a mistake that let so many people down or we, we really fell short in a certain area. Uh, but it is important to just move on sometimes, admit, error move on not dwell on it um just sometimes when you when you see someone who is just wrapped up in the mistakes that they made you feel really bad seeing it and probably a lot of us have just experienced that too you can tell like they don't even they don't even want to say a word they don't they don't want to go anywhere they just are are really worried about maybe making the same mistake again or what people are going to think of them 
Uh, so that's just a miserable way to live. And hopefully the people around us can also make sure that they let us move on and not remind us of whatever mistake was made. Yeah, it's a great write-up. Uh, it's worth reading the whole thing. Managing your stress substance-free, and uh, that's the point. There's no need to get into you know any, any sort of... Uh, uh, medications and drugs and so forth to manage those things. In most cases, you can manage it by just uh, applying some of these points. And really, the foundation of it all is spiritual, and it's it's having a relationship with God and then following that law. So uh, it's it's something everybody deals with, anxiety from time to time, but there is a way to, uh, to manage that. Uh, so make sure you check that article out. Also, make sure you listen for the Key of David program and the Trumpet Daily Radio Show and the Trumpet Hour Week Review program along with Watch Jerusalem all coming your way this weekend. For uh, Grant Turgeon and myself, Dwight Falk, have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you on Monday. You're listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.